Hey, this is Jody Stemmler. We are at the 2019 Western Hunting and Conservation Expo. And I'm Steve Belinda. Uh, We've li- got a comedian <laughs> with us today. <laughs> uh, I'm Steve Belinda, Jody's co-host for Talking Mule Deer. And right now we are talking to Butch Whiting from Cryptic Outdoor Clothing. So. Butch, so glad to have you here. You and I have talked a lot this past year, and you've got an incredible story with your company. So thank you so much. It's for an being. honor. It's an honor to be here with you guys, Jody. For thank you guys. Okay, so we just had a, an article in the actually in our convention issue of the Mule Deer Foundation magazine about that. I did an interview with you about your company a little bit, but not everybody gets the magazine. Tell us a little bit about you and Cryptic and and the vision behind it because it's an incredible story. Yeah, it's a humbling story for also, right, yes. for me. Um, so Cryptic Outdoor Group. So uh, the company idea was formed uh, in combat in uh, a third world shithole called Talifar, Iraq, where we were stationed myself and the other founder, Josh Claycorn. Um, at that time, I was his uh, troop commander, and he was one of my junior warrant officers. And uh, we flew, we were flying Apache attack helicopters. Um, I had eight Apache attack helicopters, longbows under my command. And whenever we weren't fighting and flying missions, we would daydream about hunting, right? <laughs> and uh, That's because you grew up in Idaho and mule yeah. deer hunting was your passion. Right? It was. It was a family. It, uh, my family's culture revolved around mule deer hunting. That's the end state with it. So extreme passion about hunting. Claycorn's also a very, very passionate hunter as well. And here we are, I think this is like 05, 06, 07 in that time range, and I can't tell you after 9-11 how many hunting seasons in general we just missed because of being deployed. Yep. Um, constantly downrange. And, it, and you know, we had guys that would maybe were in contact with that were in the military that were back home or maybe they weren't and we we're living vicariously through them. We're living vicariously through hunting magazines and hunting DVDs and just daydreaming about how cool it would be uh, to be in the outdoor industry. Hey, Butch, right? I get, can I jump in right here? I want to yeah. just ask you a question. When you were flying, yeah. when you were flying over terrain, did you look down and say, oh, that looks like a draw that would have a heck of a buck in it back home? Or <laughs> yeah, absolutely we did. <laughs> There's actually a herd of these really majestic black sheep on Sinjar Mountain. And ah. Sinjar Mountain is right on the edge of the Syrian border in the northwest um, corner of Iraq. And we had a retrans team up there, and once a week we had to go resupply those guys. And anytime the Blackhawk would go in with the food and the water and the mail and all that, um, an H-64 Apache would escort him in. And I tried to get permission from H.R. McMaster, who's my senior yeah. raider. He's now the National Security Advisor right. for Trump, to go up and bow hunt and uh, bow hunt those Are sheep. those spiral horn sheep? They kind of do this out here, you know. Oh, they go out. Yeah, yeah cool. Out wide. Yeah. But, to, yeah, so, I mean, we were... There was all kind. Anytime you're flying, you're looking around, you're looking for the enemy, and then you're also looking for game at the same time, right? But um, yeah, to get back into that, I mean, we had the best archery range I think that Iraq's ever had at Talafar. <laughs> that was Renegade Troop 43 ACR's archery range and Bowtech Archery, which I have yes. a really strong relationship, yeah. actually provided bows to my unit over there. Um, and that was a downtime for a lot of guys. And some of those guys that got into that, uh, they still do it today. You know, we introduced them to that. But Oh, awesome. But there was a lot of daydreaming that was going on for me and for Claycorn. And the bottom line is we came out with this concept of uh, spiraling features and functions out of the special operations apparel 
industry. Uh, there's a lot of improvements that happened dur during the war on terror, uh, including you know optics, missiles, weaponry, so on and so forth, right. communications, but also apparel. And so the idea was to bring that into the civilian hunting market, the hardcore backcountry hunting market, some of those features and functions. And so I wrote a, about a 25-page business model, and um, I got a call in 2009 from Cabela's, uh, their big game hunting department, and they had gotten a copy of that business model. And they narrowed it into one sentence in this 25-page document. Wow. And the one sentence was exactly what I just said, was to bring these, these ideas and, uh, that are really honed in on the battlefield into uh, peril for a guy that's going to use them in the, in the backcountry. And they said, um, you know, we have tried to do this before, but uh, this tactical hunting crossover, but we haven't been able to do it well, and it's because we don't have any authenticity, and we'd really like to talk to you. And so I flew down to Sydney, Nebraska. We went with these guys, and basically in 2010, 11, and 12, the only place you could buy Cryptic was at Cabela's. And those guys made an enormous amount of money. We made some money, not much. And <laughs> we started our hobby phase, right. basically. And we didn't... You were using Mothwing, Mothwing, Mothwing right? Mountain Mimicry. Mountain Mimicry. Yeah, Mothwing Mountain Mimicry. The reason why we selected that camouflage is because at, uh, Sitka started in, in Mothwing Mountain Mimicry, and right. then when yeah. Gore-Tex came in and acquired them, they went to Gore Optifade, and there was a cult following for that camo pattern uh, in the market at that time. A lot of guys had incomplete systems. Maybe they had a jacket and they wanted to get a shirt and a pan or whatever, yeah. vice versa, or add to it, some layering pieces. And so we really uh, were able to capture a lot of the momentum uh, of this technical backcountry apparel um, and the conditions that had been set. And that's the reason why we landed on Mothwing Mountain Mimicry, right? Okay. right? So we enter into the hobby phase. Um, Claycorn was still uh, in the military active duty at that time. I had gotten out, was living in Alaska. I got out. Um, because uh, just the deployment cycles, I had a six-year-old daughter at the time and a four-year-old, and I was gone. Um, I was gone four out of six years on the oldest, and three out of four on the youngest. And so, um, yeah, it was it was really a difficult decision at the time. Super, super hard. Had ten years, nine months, six days in. Um, but it, it was now I look back it was the best decision I made. So. Hobby phase happens, a lot of awesome things happen for Cryptic. Stuff that you can't even put a price tag to and it probably could never happen again. Um, one of those things was the U.S. Army camo improvement effort, right? So we had aspirations to develop our own camouflage and a solicitation came out from the U.S., D the DOD um, put it out for this new family of camouflage that was going to be tested rigorously and then going to become the new camouflage for the U.S. Army, right? And so these ideas that we had were based off of what we saw was the most effective passive concealment measure on the battlefield, which is camouflage netting, right? So, and that stuff was developed back in World War II. It's been around a long time. But uh, you have these hexagons in the netting that get distorted and the fabric's woven in and out and you have this three-dimensional aspect. Well, we took that three-dimensional aspect and we put it onto a two-dimensional surface. So as a pilot, you probably were keenly aware of things on the landscape and probably helped you in this whole design because I imagine you got pretty good at picking stuff out that shouldn't have been out there when you were flying. So. We, you're absolutely correct. And we also got to see everybody in, that was a part of the, the effort there. So coalition coming right. in from Italy, 
Czechoslovakia, I mean, whatever, any, all these, these units yep. all from all over the world, specifically in Afghanistan. Right. I mean, Afghanistan became, after 9-11, it was like the Wild West. There was a task force dagger, and it was all the coalition special operations came together there at Kandahar. And uh, so we got to see what was effective and wasn't what was not effective, right, to your point. When, when we submitted, there was, they, go, they went through a very rigorous testing. We were down-selected. Um, how, they, how they did the down-select was they, they took about 900 soldiers over a period of one year. They'd put them into a room, and there would be a big picture that would go up on the wall, uh, like on a Proxima screen. And it would be a shot of terrain, like a valley or, you know, a field or right. the jungle or whatever. And in that picture, there was another picture. It was called a pip, a picture inside a picture. And the second picture was a, a two-scale silhouette of a man that had the camouflage that they were testing. So the guy might be, you know, a, a foot tall or he might be, you know, right. two inches tall. And the soldiers had a halo device that dropped down and tracked their retinas. And when the picture came up, they'd start to time the time and their retinas would be bouncing around. And when they stopped, they had all the algorithm of the angle, and they knew they had a positive acquisition. Right. And they measured in microseconds how long that took. And that's how they down-selected to the final four. And this was a major deal for us because the other three companies that were down-selected were all billion-dollar companies. Some of them had 30-man teams, and Cryptic was myself and Clayhorn with our laptops <laughs> and our phones. With other jobs. With other jobs, <laughs> you know, completely on apart. Um, and then it went into the phase two testing. The phase two testing was extremely rigorous. It was all naked eye acquisition, force on force, and then also visually enhanced acquisition at night in spectrums that don't really matter to you know deer hunters or hunters in general, but the infrared and shortwave infrared under night vision goggles and so on and so forth. Um, to culminate that story out, the bottom line is, is that we got an enormous amount of lift out of it. Um, it became extremely political. It was very, very political, way above our heads. You lobbyist don't know groups. Anything about politics. <laughs> <laughs> lobbyist groups yep. involved and so on. Congress ended up getting involved and passed a bill. The U.S. Army spent about $10 million all said and done. The end state with this thing is that we ended up landing in uh, Navy Special Warfare, Army Special Warfare programs with Coalition Special Operations. Um, and we're the only camouflage that's in the civilian hunting market. The only camouflage that is in this show and any show we go to that's been extensively tested by the Department of Defense and selectively used by U.S. Special Operations and Coalition Special Operations. So did you have to go through the patent process, the yeah. U.S. patent process? Yeah. Was that as an easy thing to do, I imagine? that I've heard horror stories about that whole process. It was educational, and, you know, we didn't know anything about it, all that. We have a, a, an associate, an attorney, that basically walked that through. And okay. I have now a firm, IP firm, but we have intellectual property on our camouflage. And it's actually... The grayscale version, what we call the macro and the micro pattern, black and white. And then, you know, we have our Highlander pattern, we bump, uh, altitude, all these different patterns. And on these patterns, the only thing that changes is the colorways that yeah. get plugged so in. So the, the pattern, I, I, at this point in time, I'm guessing most people have seen cryptic. There may be a handful of people out there, but the one thing I keep hearing is oh, that, that snake skin pattern. Yeah. <laughs> I hear that too, but ultimately, you know, if you know what camouflage netting is then you get it makes so it. much more yeah. sense it gets a lot of sense yep. and it in the practice of using netting to, to camouflage uh, equipment and even taking netting and stretching it on a rifle or a helmet and painting it that's a real common practice right. and people see that now 
and say, oh, that's cryptic, right? right. But ultimately, it's, again, it's a proven technique that's been around for a long time. You just uh, figured out how to do it on a two-dimensional? Yeah, that's right. Well, it seems anymore any successful pattern is going to have knockoffs and yeah. imitators pretty quickly. We and do, and we do. You know, it's... Uh, even, I, even in the U.S. market, we yeah. do. Yeah, and it's, it's a continuous battle. It's a nauseating. Um, you know, they say that uh, plagiarism is the highest form of flattery. flattery. Yeah, but. Uh, but, yeah, when... When you're, you know, it's your family's income and intellectual property you own, it becomes nauseating, you know, yeah. for sure. But the thing about it is, is that uh, it's just a paint job. What really matters and where we're really accelerating is what's under the paint job, right? So, the, like I, I've told Julius, it's like if you, if I, if I told Steve, I want you to go get me a red car and you show up in a red Pinto, and I was thinking you were going to show up in a red Ferrari. Those are big <laughs> difference. They're both red cars, though. Right. So what matters is what's under the paint job. And our gear is very, very premium. We have programs. The Altitude program is the most premium. It's Scholler fabric out of Switzerland. Our fabric's printed in Germany. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Performance means durability. All the way down to our tactical line, um, which is you know more of a utilitarian use. We cover the full spectrum. Our brand can absorb that and, and get away with that. Um, but, the, but the quality of construction, the fabrics, the insulations, I'm super honored and proud that I now have um, in my uh, product development design um, somebody that has unprecedented experience. His name's Greg Hauser, and we got him from Marmot. And he was at Marmot for 15 years, and before that he was at L.L. Bean for 10, so 25 very years. So kind of traditional old school outdoor recreation, but well, not mountain hunting, mountaineering. mountaineering right? Yeah, the Marmot mountaineering connection and stuff. And so our quality, our construction, you know, that's, that's the end state. We've got a, you know, an amazing functionality when it comes to our camouflage that was designed to be functional, but uh, it's also got this lifestyle thing that was not intended to happen. We never intended that. We, we started our camouflage at 400 meters because that's the max effective range of a 5.56 round, and we stopped at 10 meters. We never intended all this ground soil we have in lifestyle, specifically in fishing like this guy that's just walking by right now. That's a fishing shirt that's done by a, another brand that we licensed with called Hook. They've had huge success, oh, major it, success. I love your blue stuff. Yeah, so with, with Huck. I mean, I, my wife loves it. I love it. I mean, it's awesome. You know what's, awesome. what's crazy about this, the water patterns? I don't know if we got into that, uh, Jody, but uh, we did a program for a wetsuit program for uh, a Navy Special Warfare organization, and Neptune and Pontus were not selected, and they were kind of thrown away. And that year at SHOT Show, we brought a couple swatches of that fabric, and we had some empty space at the back of our booth, and we just put it up on the wall. And by accident, it just, people were going crazy over it, right? <laughs> and it's the same macro and micro pattern as Highlander or Altitude. We just plugged in different yeah. colors into it. Um, we see supercars wrapped, Ferraris, yeah. Lamborghinis, uh, Rolls, Phantoms. I mean, it's just inter inter interesting because if I look at what, you know, you could call our competitors, you would probably never see their camouflage on those types of vehicles. Um, so, designed for the military, designed to be functional, but has a giant lifestyle appeal. Absolutely. And I don't, I mean, some of that, your, your company in this industry has probably one of the sharpest rises, and I don't, I certainly don't know bottom line, but just in terms of how much I've seen you, seen your product, 
you know, seeing the cryptic brand going around. You and I talked about how it is a, the cult connection with um, with special op with the uh, the video games, right? Oh, it, yeah. You know, so, tell me that story. You, you know, that is one of those stories that um, you just can't make up, and it's crazy. But two of our good buddies, one of them on our pro staff, they're former uh, Delta Force guys. They had gotten out. They had a, a, a leadership and shooting school on the East Coast. And um, Activision sent some people out there. So Activision is like the guys that make Avatar, yeah. and they also have subsidiary brands that do video games, right? So this this extremely high up guy goes through this course well the whole time our buddies are wearing cryptic gear and he asked them about it and he and they told him what they knew about and the story and stuff he flies back to los angeles gets a hold of his vp of licensing the next day they reach out and they want to put cryptic into uh that video game at that time was call of duty black ops right and uh it was going to launch like in 60 days or something so Initially, my, my knee-jerk reaction was, I don't care about video games, <laughs> to be honest. I don't want to have anything to do with them. And then uh, I got beat up by some people that were way smarter than me <laughs> who said, you're a games. fool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, I heard stories about, like, at any one time, there's, like, 30 million people around the world playing these games all connected and stuff. And, um, and I'm thinking, why aren't they out hunting? But yeah. <laughs> well, I've never so done that. I don't get that whole culture. Well, what's happened is that game, uh, the top tactical pattern was cryptic typhon and you had to do a hundred headshots in multiplayer to unlock the camo then you can put it on your guns and stuff in the game oh. and then it w then it spiraled into uh call it call of duty advanced warfare which was and all of our patterns landed in there then then now there's tom clancy ghost recon what what has it made it into Fortnite yet because yeah. that seems to be like the big yeah. one out there well if it yeah it, that would have been a good one to have it land in but this kind of landed by accident and all of the other ones that have happened have been by accident. But what happens is we get cryptic fans that are big, big followers that maybe aren't even in the workforce yet. They, they could be still in high school or junior high or whatever. Yeah. And also, many times, they don't know anything about hunting. And they, and they don't know anything about the tactical world, even though they aspire to it, right? And so we'll find ourselves educating on our social media platforms when, say, there's a post with maybe, like, Jana Waller and a bear or something like that and then you get these questions yeah. big cryptic fans why would you ever shoot a bear and you have to go in to talk about you know predators need to be managed and you know they're tasty and all these things and t really slow down and take your time um, because we have uh, we have people that are fans that um, necessarily aren't would never be at this show huh. you know mm -hmm. so yeah, uh, it just it just covers a lot of spectrum. Yeah, well, a big, it opens a big the door to a, a whole different avenue. And and there was movies as well, right? Jurassic Park. Oh yeah, okay. lots of movies. Uh, Jurassic World. Jurassic World. All the security guys that actually get eaten by the dinosaurs <laughs> are wearing. Cryptic. Wait a second, I don't know if that's good. I know, right? <laughs> like they shouldn't be able to see them. So uh, we didn't do dinosaur testing on our camo, <laughs> so uh, unfortunately. Um, the uh, Fast and Furious 7, Expendables 3 was real prominent with, you know, Ronda Rousey, Arnold Schwarzenegger, those guys wearing our stuff, um, and a whole handful of other movies. The, the biggest uh, ROI-type movie stuff is the stuff we get on Discovery Channel, and that normally falls back into the survival shows, okay, like yeah. Ultimate Survival Alaska was a big one for us, and Dude, You're Screwed, and Dropped, and... You know, you know things like how that. Did they, how did the Warriors accept the new pattern? Did they love it? I mean, yeah. And the reason I ask that is this: a friend of mine was a tank commander, yeah, twenty plus years. 
I was at him at his show. I asked him, you know, hey, he goes, if I never got to put another piece of digital camo on again, yeah. I, you know, I love it. So he was looking yep. for anything but well, what he had to wear. So. Well, um, there is a psychology when it comes back into the military side. And I think on the hunting side as well, there's a psychology with camouflage. On the military side, you've got esprit de corps, morale, all these things. It's very difficult. We did go through another very, very high-end test that was specific to that. And what those guys did was put the various camouflage patterns that they were looking to, to use on mannequins and put them in the chow hall. And they basically asked, which ones do you like, right, to the guys. Mm -hmm. And so we, we won that. And it's just as simple as like, yeah, that's badass, right? Yeah. And, um, but also that has to be functional, right? I mean, that's the, that's the biggest and most critical aspect of it, right? Functional on the, on the battlefield. Um, so, yeah, I mean... They, they liked it. And in some cases, we have some foreign military deals that we do that they are enamored to the point of, like, it's kind of bizarre, really. But it's just all the psychology aspect. And, and, again, that was something that we really didn't even try to hit. The U.S. Army camo improvement effort was all based off of functionality, nothing off of the psychology, the recruitment, you know, all that type of stuff. So, Well, with a sample size of one, my wife... She loves cryptic pattern, and she hates all the other patterns that I wear. So it's, well, I, I, and the reason I, I mean, so it, there must be that appeal across gender, across, you know, age groups and well, everything and, else. And I love cryptic because they actually have one of the best women's lines that's, that are, that's out there right now. I've, I've worn their gear. It's incredible. It fits well. It's fully functional and uh it, it's it's incredible so they're one of the companies that has ju not jumped on the bandwagon for women but recognize that there is a very real need for quality the form and function um for women as well as men and that was an easy decision for us to get after because of the fact that my wife and my daughters love to hunt and they hunt I love that. with me and so even if it didn't make sense from the retail perspective, like getting huge placements and things like that as an online play, it's a safe, still business decision. But ultimately, it's an emotional decision for me because my girls, I want them to have the best gear possible, right? Absolutely. So, um, yeah. And, and so McKenna's here with you, your oldest, right? She is. Yeah. She graduated early, and now she's gone to work for Dad. To well, she's, <laughs> she graduated a semester early, and she doesn't have the luxury of... Uh, she's working, uh, she got her first year of college done, but she's uh, doing online classes, so she has a lot of freedom of maneuver right now, not tied into, you know, going to classes every day. So uh, this is her second show she's done. She was at Wild Sheep last week, and then she's going to Evo with us this year, and it's just a fun time, and she's helping out. It's yeah, cool. Yeah, she's fantastic. I've watched her work so in the booth. So, Butch, yeah. what's your favorite type of hunt, species to hunt, place to hunt? <laughs> We cover that in the magazine. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's mule deer. Yeah. I love to hunt mule deer, and I think that the reason why is because that's what I did with my family when I grew up as a, as a kid. And um, that was such a sacred time of year for me through my youth and the connections I had to my grandfather, my great-grandfather. My whole entire family would come together. And instead of, you know, going on family vacations that, you know, would be called classified as normal like disney world or going to the beach or whatever i never even fathomed those things it was always about deer camp and um it was a real super special time and so i think that part of that subconsciously is so ingrained in who i am that i 
I am more passionate about mule deer than I am anything else. And I've also taken it on to the point where, you know, from the time I left Idaho, went to college, went to the military, came back, it was uh, 22 years. And I didn't get to shoot a lot of mule deer during that time. And so I've had the luxury now to be able to hunt mule deer in multiple states in the same year. And it's been great. Oh, great. That's yeah. awesome. Now, when I was emailing with you right before SHOT Show, I think, um, you were in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Mexico. Did you get stuck at the border wall? I didn't get stuck at the border wall <laughs> uh, because I had such exceptional um, in- interpreters. And uh, the guys I went with actually came up and escorted us across. I'd been down there before and flew into Hermosillo. Um, but this They've time got great deer down there. Huge, right? Yeah. And this place I went was all free range. It was phenomenal. I was extremely picky because there was two groups that were tied together. They overlapped just by a few days. And uh, out of those two weeks, uh, there was four bucks that uh, were, t- were harvested that were over 200 inches. Wow. And so uh, one of those bucks was 226. Wow. And uh, some of the deer was just incredible. And um, I was very, very picky, very you know, because it was such a magical place, um, I wanted to really push the, the envelope. I could have harvested a fa- beautiful bucks, 185, maybe 190 in that range, but I was really holding out for a toad, you know? One of these, you know, that's a freaking Sonora Desert mule yeah. deer when you see it, right? Um, but yeah, I, I was on a mule deer hunt there. I was the only guy in the group that uh, didn't fill his tag. Um, and that's happened to me a couple times now, and they've, it's always been around mule deer. I've passed up uh, some really super nice bucks just um, in the sake of really trying to, you know, harvest uh, one of those magical giants. Yeah. I've been extremely fortunate enough to kill, um, you know, some really big bucks too. I've got a 206 uh, that I'm super proud of that I shot on Veterans Day a few years ago in, mm. in Colorado. Very cool. Uh, just a giant, um, and I, I got I did get some really nice mule deer this last year. Uh, I was able to go on a great hunt with John Nosler and Bob Nosler and harvest a really nice buck, and also got another great buck in Colorado. Um, but uh, I have to say that I miss uh, I miss being able to go year after year to the same spot, familiar with the animals, familiar with the terrain. You know, like family I did growing ranch. up, yeah. you know, the family, the family piece of it. So I wish that uh, I still had that part of my life. I took it for granted at the time. I uh, didn't realize how blessed I was, how lucky I was, how lucky I was able to drive, you know, through that gate because I had the key to it or my family had the key to it to get access to certain areas. I mean, it was just a really special deal. And um, maybe someday we'll get a place locked down again where we can, you know, year after year go back go and back. mule deer hunt. But I, that's by far my favorite animal to hunt to ask, answer your question. And the best hunts that I've done with my girls have been mule deer as well. And they've got to hunt some pretty cool stuff. You know, uh, they've been able to hunt Alaska. Of course, there's no age, you know, restriction right. there. So they've harvested, you know, caribou. And Kylie, my youngest, shot her first bear when she was eight. You know, those were all DIY type things. Um, they found it in New Zealand. McKenna's went to uh, Africa with her mom and harvested a bunch of uh, animals in Africa. And really, if I look back to it, the, the, the best hunts were still mule deer in Idaho, tags we drew, DIY. Yeah. 
Well, I've been, you know, fortunate enough to take my daughter the last three years on Eastern Montana mule deer hunts, and so it's becoming, like you said, His one of those things. fourteen. Yeah. Oh, so right perfect. around the same age as Kylie. Yeah, so it's one of those things that she really looks forward to it, because of her schedule in school and sports and all the other things she does. She only gets a couple days a year, and she really looks forward to it. It's so hard now compared to when I was growing up. Like I'd get my homework, I get the textbooks, and do homework at night. It gets dark at five thirty that time of year. Now. If they don't have connectivity, they start to lose their mind, right? Because they got to do all these downloads and yeah. uploads with their homework and stuff. I mean, it really makes it tough if you want to pull them out and uh, for any period of time out of school. Yeah. And my boy who's 10, who's going to start hunting this year on apprentice program, he's going to have no problem missing all that other stuff. He's already <laughs> told me, whenever you want to take me out of school to go hunting, Dad, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's, that's a good place to be if – the, I can still remember trying to plow through my schoolwork every, year after year every year and just getting it done as soon as I could so I didn't have to deal with it, you know. Yeah. So go hunting. Yeah, it's go hunting. So, Butch, we, uh, I met you, I don't know, like five years ago, six years ago here, and yeah. that's about the amount of time you've been coming to Hunt Expo, a little bit longer than that, right? I, you and know, I, 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 I think that it's um, probably about right, six years Something like so, that. So tell me a little bit about how you got connected with Mule Deer Foundation, Hunt Expo, and I know your role here at Expo as well. You're a sponsor this year. Right. We're all wearing these great badges that are cryptic. Um, tell us a little bit about that connection. Well, it started off with the, um, you know, the, the mission statement, right, and the passion for mule deer. Which is, you actually haven't said, the battlefield to backcountry, right? Well, in terms of the mission statement of MDF oh, and, and the Expo. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, and then... Uh, the, uh, the And then the involvement kind of also the proximity of where we're located, Boise, Idaho to Salt Lake. I mean, it's a natural line of drift. Right. I mean, it's, it's not difficult for us to get here and get acquired. I think that the real um, integration into MDF, though, started through um, associates that were running the cryptic flag that had connections back in. And then those introductions just started to grow in terms of the network and relationships. Um, people that were like-minded and involved uh it's a fantastic show for us it's grown year after year after year i've seen that happen um the volume of people i think that the tie-in with utah and having to be present to put in for the tags is brilliant you know i think that really helps this yep. show and and brings people in from all over yep and that's uh, great for you for as a vendor as somebody yeah. who's selling your wares. Well, for all for all the brands here that are vendors Absolutely. you know there's a high high uh there's a high um number of people that are attending the show i don't know what the number will end up being but it seems like like today is overwhelming with people yeah. there the, the, the aisles 30, are wider plus, yeah so. the aisles are wider and it's still packed right sure. yeah so. um but you know back to the involvement with mule deer foundation cryptic is super humbled super honored that we're a part of this it goes back to you know where we started you know daydreaming about th what we're doing here now um it's it's really neat for me to think back through the whole life cycle and and then being able to be in a position to where we're able to give back to conservation through you know joining with mule deer foundation we we support a lot of groups uh dallas safari um wild sheep's a big one um ducks unlimited and so on but mule deer foundation again it's near and real dear to my heart because of how passionate i am about mule deer hunting we're running out of time, but tell us a little bit. You and I talked about your new products for this year. You've got a couple of good things that'll be 
great for mule deer hunters. Tell us a little bit about what they can look for coming in 2019. So we've got a, a, a collection that will hit and launch here next month. Um, it's a, a tactical collection that was all the input was pulled out of, you know, other deals we're doing with uh, with the military. And that collection is going to be really super fantastic for early season, hot weather type hunting, extremely durable. Um, the, this hand over there with guys that are, you know, it, struggling with early season hunts, elk hunts in September, you know, uh, early season mule deer, all, all that stuff that happens when it's cool in the morning but gets blazing during the day. Um, this is going to be a, a collection that these guys are going to be able to fall in. And it's going to be, you know, price pointed such that it's going to be really affordable as well. But I think the real thing that people are going to enjoy about that is uh, how durable the materials are that are in that program. Um, the life that comes out of those pieces is going to be exceptional. What's so that line called? It's our tactical collection. Tactical, tactical collection. collection. Okay. Yep. Excellent. Anything else you want to tell us? And where can they get uh, information and find you if they don't already know? Or Well, www.cryptech.com, K-R-Y-P-T-E-K, which Cryptech, the name is Cryptos and Technos combined, meaning hidden technologies. Right. So. Uh, Cryptic.com. There's lots of information there, and we've got a really nice uh, online store um, where you can go and peruse things and, and check us out. Outstanding. Great. Butch, thank you so much. I know you've got a ton. You've been in podcasts all day, so your voice is probably gone. <laughs> but, uh, well, I'm glad I was able to get hooked up with you guys. But we really appreciate your time today, and thank you. And until next time, this is Jody Stemler. And I'm Steve Belinda and Butch. Thank you for your service. Thanks for all you do for conservation. And we look forward to working with you at MDF. And thank you for talking mule deer with us. Thank you, guys.